Shout out to the socially awkward kid who got a selfie with Justin Timberlake oh, as well, and then just didn't him. know what to do after. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was texting the photo to someone, yeah. literally while Justin Timberlake was yeah. still beside him, updating his Tinder profile. <laughs> like. Oh yeah, <laughs> check me out, ladies. Uh, so, hello, welcome to all four quarters. No one stop shopping news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We've just finished up the Super Bowl, and unlike previous years, we're not hammered drunk. This is the day after instead, so we got a bit of news and a lot of game review to get through. So hey, we got Connor here. We got Harry. Fuck off. <laughs> and we've got uh, Ronan. Hello. Flag is flag. Uh, how are we getting on, lads? Miserable. Yeah. No, it's, it's all <laughs> over for me now. Um. Yeah, I'm really hungover and sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. Good crack. We had a load of lads around for the game last night. Cooked a shit ton of food. It was a uh, good crack all around. How about yourself, Ronan? Any crack? Yeah, it's, it was just a good game, great time, and uh, obviously the hospitality. Given by you, Connor, it's excellent as always. Oh, this one, yeah, we've uh, five stars and TripAdvisor. Yeah, we have uh, we've hardly done damage to uh, to all of our uh, hearts. Mm. <laughs> all deep fried food, a lot um, of it. Best part was I didn't even need to use any salt by the end of it. I was just flaking it off everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we will get into uh, review of the game. But I suppose we should probably go around and do a couple of bits of news from around the leagues because there's a few bits that have happened uh, since we were last talking. Uh, the probably the main bit of news we'll start with is the trade that occurred. The Kansas City Chiefs have agreed to trade Alex Smith to the Washington Mizungus. The trade involves a third round pick and their cornerback Kendall Fuller and Alex Smith is going over to them. He's received a contract extension as well so not only is he there for the one year that's remaining on his contract, he's been extended for four years. The extension is a 94 million four years with 71 million guaranteed, meaning that the whole Total contract is now going to be a five-year, hundred and eleven million with uh, eighty-eight million of it uh, guaranteed. A lot of money. So I suppose, lads, this is obviously a factor of them not thinking that they're ever going to be able to get Kirk Cousins to sign a deal with them because they screwed him over so much. They just like while the, some of their fans might think this is a downgrade rather than an upgrade or a lateral move. This is a spot where they've now at least locked in a starter and they're not going to have a crazy offseason of are they going to draft someone, are they going to ruin another young quarterback's (laughs) potential future. What do we think about this trade? Is Smith a good fit for Washington? Yeah, I think like if you're talking about fit, I think Smith fits with the uh, systems out there, kind of West Coast kind of... You know, it's about keeping the ball, not turning the ball over, being efficient. And Alex Smith has shown the capacity to be good in that system. He played kind of different this season, a bit more explosive plays that we hadn't really been used to. But if he returns to a more conservative West Coast type offense, I think he'd be fine. I think the biggest reason why this trade makes sense is because we know, or at least rumors indicate, that plenty of other teams were sniffing around Smith already. Denver, Cleveland, they were already kind of sniffing around, making offers. So I think there's a lot of quarterbacks in the draft. No, like all of them kind of have their own issues no one's like thinking there's an Andrew Luck type character in there that you're, you're guaranteed to hit on and I think it's just one of those situations that if you have a franchise quarterback you are a team with hope and if you don't then you aren't with Kirk Cousins and his relationship with Mizungu so wrought right now I think this was a correct move from that perspective uh, to ensure the team because it's not like it's not like the Mizungus are a team that's building lots of young pieces they're a team that is in win now mode uh, and I think the franchise quarterbacks the compensation they got here is pretty much what you have to do to get the job done yeah of course yeah like I think that that's fair it's a case of they're not going to get back cousin so Smith is the best option available mm-hmm. it's the, the one concern I have is that Washington's run game is in absolute pieces yeah and Smith isn't a guy who's going to win your Super Bowl by himself he needs something that will take the pressure off him he needs support particularly when they're going to run that West Coast kind of thing and what we've seen from Sammy Pirine and the other guys in Washington is like they're fine but they're not good enough. So that's a concern that I think will probably be one of the main things Washington need to address. It's like, can we, we've got Smith now, we, we know what this guy can do. Can we get him some help? But overall, because he's not going to be the kind of guy like where Cousins is less consistent than Smith, I think he has more of that sort of game, game-breaking game big play ability about him and ability to take things on his own shoulders, where Smith will get you to a certain degree, to a certain distance, but not necessarily beyond that. And we saw even Cousins himself obviously struggle with the lack of support of a run game last year. So I think that becomes the key thing for their offense, but overall this is a solid move that addresses, I think, the biggest need and allows them to move on to other things. Yeah. Now we are kind of assuming that the Mazungus are a competent organization. They could easily, and there's rumors to this effect, they'll franchise Kirk Cousins, try to get a trade, fail at that, lose all of their defensive starters like Josh and Holman, <laughs> and end up becoming a dumpster fire next season. Like, but 
premised on the fact that they can in the future make logical decisions and that Kirk Cousins is leaving, this is a good move. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it's impressive that their dedication to fucking over Kirk Cousins has not abated even after signing Smith. And they're like, oh, maybe we'll franchise tag him, maybe we won't. It's like, yeah. oh, fuck. So what is wrong with your organization? So obviously the knock-on for this then is that Kirk Cousins is going to hitch the open market and is going to get paid. Uh, yeah, but like that, oh, they don't have the money to tag him as well. Like this is <laughs> it's just nuts. But uh, so Cousins is going to get very highly paid. He's going to make some interesting news in the offseason. Also, obviously the trade brings Kendall Fuller to the Kansas City Chiefs to help support their secondary there and help rebuild that so that should be very interesting and of course for all the Kansas City Chiefs fans myself included out there this means the Pat Mahomes hype train starts here uh, time to go and see what he can do it could be incredible it could also be like six wins next year we'll see how it goes uh, should be should be good crack where do you think uh, where do you think Cousins will end up I'm not 100% sure. Like, I think the two logical spots in my head would be to either come to an agreement with the Browns They'll pay him a lot of money. They'll use their top picks to bring in the running back and probably maybe a, a good cornerback or something, and just build around that and kind of because they can come to him with a kind of four-year, five-year plan, and they've got a shit ton of money. Uh, the other one would be the Broncos, who would be very interested in if he's thinking that he wants to go into a win-now situation. The only downside there is that I don't think that they have the setup to say we're going to build the next eight years around you it would be more of a this is a window and then we'll have to start again so and they also he'd also have to probably take a pay cut because they don't have as much money at all so uh we'll see i suppose yeah i still think uh what i said uh before the before the super bowl i think the vikings is the most interesting landing spot for, for cousins it could be great you know, but... and it is worth putting out like kendall fuller's coming into kc he had a really good season top rated uh, slot corner i believe from pff so for a team in Kansas City which had issues in the secondary outside Marcus <laughs> Peters uh, and getting Eric Berry back, it's exciting time to be a KC fan, uh, yeah, Connor. Yeah, should be a good crack now. Look forward sure to we'll playing that on offseason. Oh, we will, we will. Uh, Baltimore have announced that GM Ozzie Newsom will retire at the end of the next season. He's going to be replaced with Eric DaCosta. I suppose he's had a fairly decent run of things in there. They have had some issues with their roster building over the last couple of years. They obviously had their large pay that they gave to elite Joe Flacco, which is kind of hampering them somewhat. But I think, to be honest, we kind of all have to accept that they kind of had to pay him at that point. He won them the Super Bowl. You're not going to let the guy walk out of it. And we'll come on to that a little bit later with Nick Foles as well. <laughs> but this is, this is an interesting spot. So what do we think of Eric DaCosta? Do we know much about him? Uh, we don't really know much about him because obviously people in the in the front office tend to be a bit mm-hmm. mysterious unless you're into the kind of inside baseball stuff. But all indications are that there were teams sniffing around him, so there is interest outside the organization in kind of getting someone from Baltimore. Because even though they've had issues in the past, I don't think anyone can deny that Ozzy Newsom has been incredibly effective at building competitive teams year in year out. It's just like yeah, due to certain cap constraints, it's incredibly difficult to build a team and also have a quarterback who isn't really pushing you you know mm-hmm. if you have Tom Brady you can probably get away with it but uh, Joe Flacco you can't really so I think Ozzy Newsom is really highly regarded within the league Eric DaCosta is seen as kind of his one of his like major lieutenants and I think for Baltimore you give them the benefit of doubt because they've proven since they moved away from Cleveland that <laughs> they're actually a very competent organisation yeah. yeah I think the the interesting thing is that Newsom isn't, is retiring as GM but he's not retiring completely he's going to stay on in some kind of Advisory personnel, yeah. advisory scouting capacity, and I think you know Newsom has built amazing defenses, but there have been problems, particularly with receivers and tight ends, um, under his leadership as GM. So what I suspect will happen is that uh, DeCosta will take on a more sort of central role and dealing with the cap, dealing with the overall thing. And I imagine they'll still want to keep Newsom's defensive scouting. Mm-hmm. in the building but I feel this is more mutual than say the Green Bay situation where I, yes. think, I think they shunted Ted Thompson out of the yeah. pasture basically I think in this case Ozzy maybe himself saw some of the flaws and was kind of like maybe there's a higher level of organisation or a different level uh, organisation rather than doing the day to day that I could make a difference from yeah. this no of course Tennessee have had some changes as well they've hired Dean Pease the former Baltimore defensive coordinator as their new defensive coordinator and Matt LaFleur the Rams quarterback coach as offensive coordinator I quite like these pickups I think Baltimore defence have always been good and been able to get production out of pieces even when they don't have all of the maybe skill or talent that they needed in there and obviously with the development needs for the young quarterback in Tennessee bringing in Matt LaFleur who has gotten success with uh, with the Rams young quarterback this could be a good spot for his development as well so I'm pretty happy with these overall. yeah like Dean Pease is a bit of a surprise because I think when he left Baltimore people I think the news basically said he had retired but obviously yeah. if he brought it here in Tennessee obviously they're, they're, they're just got to come 
coming off having one veteran defensive coordinator. They seem to be going, like, we have the talent on defence. Uh, we trust that our players can understand fairly complex schemes. So there's no harm in getting someone with a lot of experience and who will be able to take care of that talent. Obviously, the huge one is Matt, Matt uh, Lafleur, where obviously they're hoping that Mariota can make the next step with someone guiding him, getting him to like actually understand the, the game of football at a higher level, and mm-hmm. hopefully create an offense that protects him a bit more and gives him an opportunity to, to to you know basically ascend to the next level, which we we all kind of feel Mariota could do any season now. It just hasn't happened so far. Hopefully, a more offensive, exciting. Uh, scheme might unleash that talent. Yeah, it's, the, it's the miracle of Jared Goff, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that makes a difference. So this is, these are, I think, these are good hires because you've got a very, very inexperienced head coach in Mike Vrabel in Tennessee uh, next year. So I think bringing in a veteran DC, um, another uh, AFC North veteran DC, and a guy who's shown that he can have development like this is a good move from Tennessee. This is these are the kind of supports you need when you have an inexperienced head coach, guys who can. Uh, on the you know help with both the play calling and the player development side, so I'm actually impressed. I'm surprised given how Tennessee have operated over the last little while. But this is yeah, this is a really positive move, and this is the sort of thing that if they want to compete in the AFC South, which is who knows what that's going to look like. Yeah. That could be really competitive next season. It could also be terrible. We don't know. It's the AFC South, <laughs> but this is the kind of move they need to be making. So yeah, absolutely fair play to them. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. We'll move on to having a look at some of the NFL awards for the year. Uh, I think a lot of these kind of went as to be expected. Uh, MVP was Tom Brady. I think I think fairly consensus early that that was a good shout. There was a couple of ones who you could look at, but it's a, it's an award that traditionally always goes to a quarterback, and if it's going to go to a quarterback, it's probably going to to Tom Terrific this year. Yeah, like I, I think all the stuff with them, once Wentz went down and once um, Wilson's results dropped off and his level of play started flattening out towards the back half of the season, that wasn't necessarily entirely his fault. It was pretty clear it was going to be Brady, and I think the whole Todd Gurley thing was just that we need a not-Tom-Brady candidate to talk yeah. about. There's a whole anybody-but-Brady thing for multiple seasons mm-hmm. at this point. <laughs> no, of course. Coach of the Year is LA Rams head coach Sean McVay, who had a big turnaround in that organization. I think it makes perfect sense as well. Yeah, like Doug Peterson only getting one vote was a bit surprising. Was bizarre. Um, that was weird because he's done a well. I mean, look, he's won the yeah. Super Bowl like with a, yeah. what was a not great team last season. So I think the Rams McVay did a great job. McVay's more exciting. He's kind of got that LA. media profile. He's in LA. Looks he's, good to have that young. situation. Yeah. yeah. All that kind of stuff. Defensive player of the year is Aaron Donald, which of course makes perfect sense. He's a monster. Offensive player of the year is Todd Gurley, which also makes sense as he was in the. Player of the or the MVP discussion had a great year. Uh, offensive Rookie of the Year Alvin Kamara took this. I think it's fair enough to be honest. Like I think it was a coin flip in my head between himself and Hunt, but like either one works. The only thing is that that was a two-headed running back core rather than a, an individual person, which then kind of allows the fact that maybe the yardage wasn't as large, but it was a, an incredibly good offense. And the defensive rookie of the year was uh, Marshawn Lattimore. What a fucking draft from New Orleans to have yes. the two rookie of the years. This is like the first time a team has swept the two rookie categories. It's like the 50s or 60s or something wow. like that. Wow. And uh, yeah, Alvin Kamara, okay, hunted a really good season, but Alvin Kamara had like a lot of plays that literally are like, if this guy can stay healthy, he could have one of the great careers uh, mm-hmm. at running back of all time. Yeah, yeah. I think I think also when you look at it, like Hunt's play dropped off towards the back end, whereas Kamara's kept rising. I think when you're dealing with a vote that happens towards the end of the season, that kind of thing factors yeah. in. Um, I don't think you could complain if either of them got it, mm. but I'd say marginally this is probably the right call. Lattimore as well, yeah, absolutely incredible this season. Honestly. Um, should have just been rookie of the year full stop in my view but they mm-hmm. don't give that to defensive players so yeah fair enough but uh, that was remarkable Hall of Fame class was announced as well so we have GM Bobby Bethard linebacker Robert Brazil Brian Dawkins at safety Jerry Kramer at guard Ray Lewis gets in and talks a load of shite uh, Randy Moss gets in <laughs> says he's been there from the get go Terrell Owens finally gets in and Brian Erlacher gets in uh, mm-hmm. on the first go which is interesting we did discuss Erlacher previously on I think about a year ago on the pod about like whether or not he would make it in full stop let alone make it in uh, first time round so what's what's our thoughts on this crew this, this is the character concerns uh, <laughs> M class look Lewis is always going to get in you know what I think about Ray Lewis but he was a generational talent he yeah, was yeah. a complete asshole who's probably a murderer but yeah apparently uh, you know talking shit to the media counts but uh, murder doesn't so that's fine mm. um, 
Randy Moss is completely right. I think when he said he's been in there since the start, there's no question Randy Moss was, it was only whether he's going to be first ballot or not. Yeah. And Terrell Owens, it was going to happen at some point. Erlacher is the one I'm surprised by. Like Erlacher was very, very good. Don't get me wrong. When you look him next, like put him next to Ray Lewis, and both those guys are played the same position, and both these guys are now first ballot Hall of Famers in the same class. Like Lewis was miles better than Erlacher. Yeah. And it surprises me, particularly with Terrell Owens being held out, that Erlacher got in. I know he did a lot of work buddying up to the media in the last um, in the last year or so, which unfortunately does count for a lot. But when you consider his level of play. And when you consider um, his the issues around him that emerged this year yeah. with the with the uh, his former partner and the media smear campaign and stuff like that, it, it's a bit weird. But I suppose there's an element of there's an element of recency bias at play. There's an element of and I say there's an element of like the Chicago Bears, a historically great defensive team, also comes into it. But I am very surprised he was a first ballot Hall of Famer and to be honest in so much as we consider first ballot Hall of Famer to be a meaningful thing which it probably isn't but let's do it anyway because it's boring if we don't I'm, I just don't think he deserves that I don't think he was that good of a player like uh, to I, be on that level I think you're right like that Chicago Bears history kind of, thing kind of fits to me it's kind of like he felt like the right type of player for a, you know a voter of a certain age you know it's like this was a proper old school linebacker get doing the dirty work kind of situation and on a bad team to be fair most of the time yeah. the, the better teams were great but yeah I think if you look at his actual talent level if you look at what he actually did it's like the case for him getting in the first ballot is you know the, the terrible something in second first ballot that yeah Brian Urkler is a bit, bit of a surprise uh, I think Brian Dawkins is the only other one that's kind of like everyone was expecting the other three uh, they're all kind of solid players that uh you know, kind of got in eventually. Uh, yeah, there's, there's been a clog of with the likes of Kramer. There's also been a huge clog of like from before our period offensive linemen. Yeah, and it's good to see that they are getting recognised as much as criticised the committee for other decisions because O linemen like you know, well, it's not a huge public impact kind of thing unless you're remarkable like a Joe Thomas at your kind of media stuff. Yeah, I don't know what you mean. Like, linemen get in all the time. There's a lot of chief offensive linemen from the early 2000s in there. <laughs> <laughs> but this, this one, there's, there's a huge backlog. Because yeah, of that, there's a huge, huge backlog from the right. 70s and 80s of offensive line players. And mm-hmm. um, they're sort of just working their way through and it seems like they're just picking yeah. one every year, which is, is, is fine. Uh, once again, uh, fuck you for not bringing Coriel... Fuck you for not even nominating Steve Tasker. Hall of Fame's a joke. Whatever. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, on to injury news. Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback Blake Bortles has decided to have off-season surgery on his hand. This has an interesting impact because... So, Jacksonville have picked up the fifth-year option on uh, Bortles. This sometimes confuses uh, people who watch the sport. So, the way this works is they then have the option to hold on to him for that fifth year at a higher price... They are not guaranteed to give him that money. They can cut him and decide to not utilise that fifth-year option. That's why it is an option. But it does mean, because they exercise the option, that if he is injured going into the season, I believe it's on the third day of the of the new season, he has to be uh, cleared to be fit to play. So that means that if, he's, if, his, if this hand surgery means that on, I think, March 17th or 18th, if he is not cleared to play by a doctor on that date, this eighteen million becomes guaranteed, and Jacksonville are locked into keeping him. Now they've publicly said that they want to back him and hold on to him. We all kind of think some of that is posturing. What do we think about this as an impact on what Jacksonville can do this offseason? Well, it's kind of reminiscent of the Tyrod Taylor situation mm-hmm. last year. I think generally, unless Blake really wants to push his luck, and necessarily he's obviously held in high esteem in the organization right now, and right now he's the starting quarterback. I'm not sure he want to piss people off by kind of trying to be go beyond the uh, the, the deadline um, but I think if, if that 18 million is guaranteed it's stuck on the cap obviously Jacksonville's a team that's going to start paying people pretty soon already start paying people uh, already so it's kind of a situation where their flexibility to get involved in the QB sweepstakes particularly via free agency particularly like someone like Kirk Cousins mm-hmm. is highly constrained by this but I think they still have enough cap space. If they do want to make that move, if that's something they really actually want to do, they could still do it. It's just not quite as easy as it would have been otherwise. Yeah, no, of course. I, I think that this is not going to be hugely relevant just because I actually think Jackson Miller want to keep Bortles either way. Fair um, enough. I think they wouldn't have exercised the option if it, if it weren't the case, yeah. to, be, to be completely honest with you. Um, this is... Look, clearly, they, they see progress in him this year, which there has been, in fairness, significant progress. He's still not a good quarterback, but... He's progressed a lot, so obviously I think another year keeping going, and maybe there's an element of maybe there's an element of stability uh, at play. 
particularly like as we mentioned earlier with the AFC South looking like it might be very competitive, mm-hmm. that they don't want to rip it up and have to try and spend a year reintegrating and redeveloping a system around a new quarterback when they have something that they know can get them to a championship game as yeah. it stands. No, of course. I think the only thing that this has an impact on is it means that if there was any question in their head or if there's anyone they wanted to go kick the tyres on, they are going to have to be delayed in their approach mm-hmm. to that because they're going to have to wait until they find out what's going to happen at the start of the new season. So that means the likes of your Kirk Cousins who are out kind of chatting to teams now, it's very difficult for Jacksonville to be able to actually try and put together an offer for them if they wanted to try and pinch one of these free agents. Crime and punishment. Uh, Houston Texans are currently being sued by a former employee, Kirsten Grimes, for allegedly not responding to sexual harassment allegations made against the former director of football operations, Jason Lowry. This isn't a good look. Like This has happened too many times in recent times that we've seen Stories about not dealing correctly with sexual uh, harassment allegations and these things happening within the front office and kind of like back rooms of these organisations. Because I think this is probably what about the fifth or sixth story this year involving this type of thing. Yeah, like this was a kind of stalking situation, some groping, that's uh, the allegations made by uh, Miss Grimes. So I think, you know, if you're an organization <laughs> during the current climate, you certainly should have taken a lot of steps to actually investigate and make sure that she's aware that the investigation is ongoing. They seem to do none of that. It seemed to be all hushed up. And Jason Lowry was removed, basically, with very little fanfare at the beginning of 2018, at the beginning of this year, basically. So there's kind of indications there that they're trying to sweep it under the rug. If this case goes out to the public for long enough, you can imagine this will keep popping up for several months or so coming from now. Uh, that's probably why they might settle it uh, before that, but we'll see. Yeah, so I think the, te- the Texans have said that they didn't cover it up, basically. Uh, and that's where the that's where the contention is. There's no contention over whether or not this happened, Yeah, um, which is pretty pretty damning. One thing that I think we're going to miss out on the list of allegations, this is one that comes up a lot, and it's similar, it actually reminds me a little bit of the Peyton Manning thing from the University of uh, Tennessee, in that there were the uh, Lowry started spreading rumours that uh, Kristen Grimes was uh, sleeping with black players, which is always, you know, just, there's always just that weird little kind of... A little bit of race. Race aspect into yeah. flung into it, isn't there? Which is it's just weird, but then again, Bob McNair owns the team, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever, but it's, it's yeah, again, it's another, it's another bad look for an NFL team, it's... All these things are going to keep coming out. I mean, we've seen things even with NFL Network this season. Yeah. We're, as, as the movement towards this kind of thing coming out to the public grows, I think we're going to see more and more of these kind of things coming to light. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully there's... Look, I mean, if what she says is true, uh, which it probably is, based on how we've known teams to deal with these yeah. issues in the past, I hope that, you know, she gets some form of justice and, re- and restitution out of this. And I hope that in the long term, and I think we all hope, that uh, a serious lesson is learned here about how teams deal with these kind of things going forward yeah. before they even get to this stage. No, of course. Controversy corner, uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has come out and said that it's time to start all over again on the catch rule. This is obviously something that's been picked up a lot of times this year as what is a catch, what isn't a catch. I think the issue... I think as we see it, isn't so much that the rule itself is an issue. The rule is fairly straightforward in its thought process. The problem is that there's no consistency in how it's enforced and how it's interpreted by some of these teams. Like we saw it last night, and we will be talking about it in more detail, that there were two instances of things being reviewed for was it a catch, was it not a catch, in the Super Bowl. Now, people differ on opinions on which were and which weren't, but the fact that these two things at polar opposite ends of the spectrum, one was... Has he got control going out the back of an end zone? The other one was, he has established himself, run, he's broken the plane, hit the ground, and then the ball comes out after a touchdown has been scored. Is that then not a touchdown? This is a mess, and I don't really know what they're going to do to try and rectify it. Yeah, I think this is one of the situations where we're going to see like 75 proposals brought before the competition committee, mm. and they'll end up implementing none of them, or one of them. The problem with starting, as Goodell says, starting all over again, that, that's a very good public statement to make, because the fans don't like the rule, and they meet, the uh, networks don't like the rule, and it's very complicated, and it does... Make catching great again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does slow things down, and it does cause a lot of confusion and, and, and upset, and I'm sure Vegas hate the rule as well, but... Um, I don't know how you start all over again. Like The reason that the catch rule is this way is because it used to be not this way and then there were serious problems with a very simple he called yeah. the ball kind of thing because then there are all kinds of what happens in these edge circumstances and the rule has been designed and admittedly not coherently but had little bits tacked onto it along the way to try and account for those situations. So I don't know how you fix it because if they totally go back to basics they'll end up in the same situation they were in in the 1980s where things that were for equal reasons obviously not or not a, not or were a catch 
overturned, but for different reasons. Yeah. So I don't know where the balance lies here, and I think it's going to be interesting. There's obviously going to be, with the competition committee and the input from teams, there's people who are going to know a lot more about this than us giving input, so hopefully we'll see something brilliant come out of that, but I'm concerned that this could just turn into a quagmire and end up either stripping the rule back to the point where there's just confusion in the other direction, or continuing to over-engineer it. Mm. There's also a spectacle issue that it's so complicated right now, it requires so much interpret well not interpret, but it requires so much minute attention to detail via instant replay and all that kind of technology to do it that it's too many games now are getting bogged down in like five minute reviews over the technicalities of whether he had full control, did it bobble slightly. Yeah. And honestly that's not the kind of things that people presumably you know, no one gives a shit about that yeah. if they're watching the game. It's fine if you're watching Red Zone because we'll skip to another game. Yeah. <laughs> for people who watch games like normal people, Thank you, one at a time, <laughs> it's a bit of an issue. Yeah, uh, we'll go to a few other bits from around the league. The Mexico City game's been announced. It's Kansas City at the LA Rams. Should be a good game, should be exciting. The one thing that we were talking about is uh, there was a lot of discussion at the time of the announcement of the London games that the plan was to have four games. There was also rumours abound of the Kansas City Chiefs coming over for that. This looks very much like this could have been the fourth game that was in London, but due to the uncertainty over the Spurs stadium and the fact that they could only guarantee one game in it and that's up in the air and we believe that it was limited to one game because they need to have a backup stadium in place in case that stadium is not ready in time that this could have been the other game to come over this yeah. year and don't the Rams had just finished uh, I believe a two year contract to come over to London so it's not like they were f- like foreign to coming over yeah. to, to decide the pond so yeah like it's all speculation obviously we don't know but you know, if you if you're willing to connect the dots and get the old map out and put the pins in and connect the strings, then uh, just sure, we, being Charlie Day, yeah, basically, <laughs> you can come to a certain conclusion from an unbiased perspective on this side. No, of course. So, uh, so we're going to Mexico in November, then, yeah, lads. Yeah, Mexico will be good crack. Should be good fun. Former Buffalo safety Aaron Williams has retired. This is following obviously there was a very famous hit involving himself where he received a neck injury after getting a very brutal block from. Was it Jarvis Landry or something? Yeah, Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry. Also something that we definitely didn't see last night. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. But yeah, so basically, uh, he wrote a very nice piece in the Players' Tribune about going off. How it's kind of very bittersweet he didn't get to kind of go out in his own terms. He also said that he doesn't blame uh, Landry for the hit. That uh, he said, like, look, it's the game... I always watched these large hits when I was growing up. I like them. It would be very hypocritical of me to not say like that this is a part of the game that I enjoy and like it just happens. So he's, he's it was bittersweet, very nicely written piece. But uh, so he, he was he was sitting uh, as a free agent all of this season. No one wanted to to take a chance on him because of the neck and back injury that he had off that. Yeah, and it was it wasn't the first one. He he had a couple of serious um, back neck injuries. I think first thing in college. And then um, one that was uh, actually Ryan Shazier style self inflicted against the uh, the Patriots, I think, in th- the year before the Jarvis Landry one, mm-hmm. where just poor tackling technique led to him, uh, yes, yeah, suffering a very serious injury and being carted off. So it's yeah, like it, oh, it sucks, but like there's there's two sides to it. There's the lack of protecting players from other players, and there's lack of protecting players from themselves. Yeah, and we've seen that more and more over the last few years just because I think people are getting more aware of it and it's a real shame that it's ended another career effectively yeah we had a good chat about this last night actually uh, after you'd uh, popped off to uh, to drown your sorrows in gin um, <laughs> about like how how we could see the evolution of the game to try and get rid of some of these things and, like I, I think very simply the, the solution is remove helmets if you don't have helmets the game the, the way you tackle the way that you launch yourself the way that you control yourself changes dramatically after that but mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that we're going to see anytime soon I yeah. think it's if it's to happen it'll probably be something that will be trialled in a pre-season game in seven years time and then not really adopted but yeah just, just things like this you, you see hits like this and they are jarring we saw one last night uh, the hit on was it Brandon Cooks yeah and while it was a legal hit, it was really, really brutal and knocked him out of the game from very early on. Similar to the hit on, on Kelsey, technically legal, but you don't yeah. want to see it. And I will say the one, the one thing is that removing helmets is, is fine and all, but even if you look at the way rugby has dealt with concussions, which has been completely inadequate, mm-hmm. you still need to be very serious in everything else you're doing. So I don't know if something like that fixes it while the league's attitude yeah, remains the same. Yeah, there'll be the, 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 there's a large change in his happening to get these things fixed. And then some sad news: Indianapolis linebacker Edwin Jackson has died in a road accident. Uh, the reports initially that we've seen indicate that it was a drunk driver while he was traveling in an Uber hit him. Uh, so that's sad news for his family. And then 
Additionally, uh, Seafox defensive end Frank Clark has indicated that his father and three other family members have died in a fire and an arson attack in, uh, in yeah. Cleveland last week. So he week. sent an arson attack, obviously, uh, for legal reasons that hasn't been confirmed. But yeah. uh, needless to say, it's a tragedy regardless of uh, the particular context there. And uh, our thoughts go out to Edwin Jackson and Frank Edwin Jackson's family and, and Frank Clark and uh, yeah. his family as well. No, of course. And don't fucking drink and drive. Yep. Just... It's a real dickhead thing to do. Just don't do it. And I suppose with that, we will move on and have a look at some questions from you listeners. Okay, so this one comes in from PhillyFan69. It says, uh, <laughs> Is now a good time... We're the best fans. Yeah. <laughs> Is now a good time to invest in property in, <laughs> in property in Philadelphia? I hear the market's really heating up. Oh. <laughs> it's a good time to invest in a building contractor. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, light uh, salvage core. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see like whether or not property is valued in the new society that emerges from the ruins of Philadelphia whenever they finally sober up. It'll be uh, very interesting to see. Yeah, this this is obviously in relation to uh, all the Philadelphia fans going fucking nuts. There's interesting videos up on YouTube. There was an explosion, which they are saying I are unsure whether it was just a normal like explosion bad thing happening on a gas line or whether it was caused by fireworks just a normal Philly explosion <laughs> yeah that's what's a normal explosion like. yeah. well as in that it wasn't gas. caused directly by them uh, and then like some of the reports from the police are horrible but, like everyone was climbing up on stuff uh, jumping off into crowds getting themselves injured there have been policemen injured in these right there's a lot of looting taking place it's uh, it's, it's it's real fun so I think they uh, uh, arrested off duty cop as one of the rioters as well <laughs> also apparently um, during the, 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 the heat of it at uh, the moment the Philly police tried to call the National Guard so wow fun times draw your own conclusions about that good job Philly fly <laughs> Eagles fly next up we have a question in about given his performance in the Super Bowl what is the trade value of Nick Foles is he a starter what could they get for him or will they keep him uh, this is a very interesting question. Nick Foles played an excellent game. He's had a couple of good games now. Uh, he had a very good season under Chip Kelly as well, where he, I think it was 27 touchdowns, two interceptions or three interceptions. Like While he is a backup in the league, I think he's proven over the last couple of weeks that he has the ability to put together games to play very, very well and to lead teams. He is very cheap at the moment. There is a two-year contract on him. While it's it's a one year contract with the Eagles because if he stays with the Eagles he gets released at the start of the following year. Whereas if he's traded he's not on the Eagles roster. It's actually a two year contract that he has. What do we think this guy's value could be? I think it's interesting because I think the Eagles like Foles. They wouldn't mind keeping Foles. I don't think they're going to give him away unless they get a, an offer they can't refuse. And to me that's probably you're looking at a first round pick or you're looking for a good player and a second or third. Basically, the Alex Smith package is probably, I would say, roughly the baseline for what they'd be looking for at this point. His value is never going to be higher than the, the, higher than this. There's desperate teams out there. But I think, like, is he worth that? That's questionable. I mm-hmm. think Nick Foles is the kind of player who plays really well if the play caller is good. But if you put Nick Foles out there and you know you play a vanilla offense and people know what he's, when he's going to pass and when he's going to run, etc., etc., he's easily exposed. Yeah. So don't 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 get him if you have Jeff Fisher. To <laughs> yeah. But don't get any quarterback if you have Jeff Fisher. It's basically a waste of time. But uh, if you're if you're a team that's confident in your offensive identity already, then Nick Foles mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't be a bad place to go. This is an interesting one, particularly because given, like you said earlier. Uh, there's a lot of question marks around a lot of the top quarterbacks in this upcoming draft and whether or not they'd actually be ready to go from the get-go. Like A two-year relatively cheap hire of Nick Foles in the form that he currently is might be a good idea for a few of these, let's say, embattled franchises who are trying to source their quarterback of the future. Like I'd be looking at places like, like the Browns, if they didn't get Kirk Cousins and that, to potentially say... We're going to draft a quarterback, but we don't want him to start. We can offer the fourth pick in the second round for Nick Foles to take this for the two years. And I think something like that, like the upper end of the second round, would be something you'd have to consider. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. I don't think I don't think they'll get a first round for Foles. I think that's that's a pipe. No, and that's why I think the Eagles will. That's the level the Eagles will require see, to actually do the deal. I think. See, to an extent, yeah. But I think when you, when you say his value is never going to be higher, I think that that's true. Um, with Carson Wentz coming back, I think if you're the Eagles, for me anyway, as much as having a great backup is an amazing thing to have, I think this is a point where you, you cash your chips in on something like that. You're like, this mm-hmm. is this is just something that we're never going to get better for this. 
Um, and I think when you look at it, like not just the Browns, but you look at like the Jets, the Broncos, teams like that who can give a high second round kind of pick and maybe a, maybe a later round conditional kind of thing, mm-hmm. pick up a cheap contract and use them as a bridge while they dra- use their first round pick on a quarterback and then develop them behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, although if it's the Jets, ruin him behind him. I, I think that makes sense. And I think Philly, I, if I was Philly, I, I would be like, right, I, I think we can trade Vols and use that pick to shore up another part of the team. Yeah, of course. And we've got one more question came in. So it says, uh, now that it's not just about two teams and that's all finally done with, we're into the new season. What is your far too early prediction for the Super Bowl matchup for next year? So Super Bowl 53. I'm going to go with the Kirk Cousins-led Vikings taking on Pat Mahomes Chiefs. Why not? I'm going to go with... <laughs> Sean Watson-led Texans taking on the Jimmy Garoppolo-led San Francisco 49ers. How's that for a bold prediction? Oh, hold on. We could have we could have Garoppolo-Brady in the we retirement bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Garoppolo-Brady one does sound good, to be fair. But uh, it wouldn't be surprising if we had the same matchup again, to be honest. Uh, there's mm. no reason why those two teams couldn't be back. Uh, in actuality, Philly have even better chance to... Uh, yeah, given that they'll have their actual starting quarterback again, <laughs> which would be interesting. But yeah, we'll we'll obviously probably start doing it because I think it's normally the back end of the offseason we kind of do our far too early predictions and do our whole lot of them. But yeah, those those are some of the initial ideas anyway. And I suppose on that we will move on to the big game. Well, the second big game it comes slightly behind the Pro Bowl. Uh, New England at Philadelphia, the Super Bowl Fifty Two. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about. I think in this an incredibly. Exciting game, very, very good on both sides of the ball. Or, sorry, on both teams. Neither team's defence <laughs> played fucking really at all uh, until the very bitter end. Offences went mental in this. They uh, combined for 1,151 yards, the most in any NFL game, full stop, I believe, not just a playoff or Super Bowl game. Now, obviously, these were two high powered offences that were getting things done, but there was, like, is this just a function of two very well-equipped offences, or was this more to do with ill-equipped defences? As Particularly in the second half, we saw the New England offence really fire up because they seemed to key in on whatever the Eagles were doing and started to tear them up on drives. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, you obviously have to credit the offences because, you know, they, both quarterbacks played well, both offences played well, but the defence was weird. And from Philly's perspective, it was more surprising. Like They looked decent enough in the first half and then really seemed to struggle to adjust in the second half. Um, until, of course, they had one play that ultimately ended up deciding the game. Yeah. But outside of that one outlier, it was it, they really struggled to get pressure on Brady, or to get effective pressure on Brady. Yeah. They did pressure Brady quite a few times, but they struggled to be effective. Um, they struggled to contain him. No sacks. And uh, well, there's a strip sack at the end, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair. But, <laughs> well, um, they, yeah, well, they, they just got rid of the ball. They didn't hit it's him. still a strip sack. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, and their their cornerbacks, as we expected, struggled to deal with New England's receivers even after Brandon Cooks was knocked out of the game. From New England's side, it was like, look, we know this New England defense isn't that good. Um, it was surprising how bad they were. Uh, there was again non-existent pressure on on falls pretty much all game. Um, James Harrison started having a bit of success towards the end, but mm-hmm. by and large, nothing. The linebacking core was a mess, we knew. And the big surprise, obviously, was Malcolm Butler being benched, which meant that Eric Rowe and Johnson Padamosi were playing, and it was ugly. Like, Gilmore shut down Jeffrey, and then the rest of the Eagles players were like, I'm being covered by Johnson Padamosi, okay. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, that was really weird. And it was just bizarre that neither team seemed to, even in the second half, be able to do anything to change how ineffectual their defenses were. Um, more surprising on Philly's side because I think we expected more from them, but equally surprising for New England given Patricia Belichick, you think would have been able to get something mm-hmm. going here. But and I don't want to overfocus on that one weird personnel decision that we still don't know why it was, but I guess we'll find out at some point, or maybe we won't. I don't know with Butler, but like it clearly wasn't working, and they were able to Philadelphia were able to because of the lack of pressure. This is something I said before that was going to be really important before the Super Bowls you need to make Foles uncomfortable make him go to the first read make him get rid of the ball quickly and make less effective plays he was given time to exploit mismatches by a New England team that was struggling to create pressure and also struggling to maintain outside of Gilmore struggling to maintain coverage down mm-hmm. the field it was really poor and the open field tackling was just really bad oh, for both terrible. teams as well which yeah. was also weird like it, 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 like it, it gets overshadowed because obviously both the passing games went basically kind of crazy but on the Philadelphia side they were successful in establishing Bo Blunt and Ajayi throughout the game and making sure that the, the New England couldn't just key in on Foles and try and stop him. I think like we all 
predicted that that would be important and they managed to do that partially due to really poor tackling that's definitely true uh, so that actually ended up being a massive thing in the game yeah. uh, even though most of the yards definitely did come through people being wide open like, <laughs> kind of 20 plus wide open no like no challenge basically receptions especially for New England uh, in yeah. the second half was ridiculous like you know both of these defenses are supposed to be great you have Jim Schwartz with one of the best defenses really stingy all season you hear people getting busy 30 yard receptions with no pressure on them they're the, they're the, like the, the, the best uh, score the, the best stopping points defense in a Super Bowl since the Tampa 2 team from 2002 wasn't it they allowed the least yeah, amount of points yeah, exactly. per game in the playoffs and stuff and then on the New England side obviously you have Belichick you have Patricia and this whole bend don't break well they broke a lot <laughs> uh, bend and break what? they broke a lot of tackles they broke a lot of coverages they broke uh, a lot of hearts and they uh, broke a lot of uh, interesting uh, decisions their way I was say there was a this, this game was remarked in terms of some of the some of the play calling on offense at certain points especially mm. in the first half New England and I've said this to you at the time Harry seemed to almost go Andy Reid on it a little bit with these weird fake play or like trick plays and, and flip arounds like they, there was obviously the the, the, the the terrible attempted reception by, by Brady who should have caught that because ah, he's yeah. a scrub Jimmy Garoppolo would have caught that <laughs> uh, but the, 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 yeah, the, look how amazing it would be. It's like, oh. Yeah. But the balls on Doug Patterson on fourth and one was just phenomenal. That's, that's going to be replayed and replayed and replayed. Yeah. This fake setup where, he's, where he throws the pass to Nick Foles. Nick Foles scores a receiving touchdown. The first quarterback in the history of the NFL in the, in, in the Super Bowl to pass for a touchdown and catch a touchdown as well you know Mariota's just there like yeah but did he do both in the one play <laughs> <laughs> well yeah like this was it's a, it's a, it's the kind of play that if it gets blown up will look absolutely ridiculous but mm-hmm. you do a flea flicker from your running back to your like backup tight end Trey Burton and then he throws it to your quarterback that's not the kind of play that you make unless you have balls <laughs> like there are certain coaches in the league who are willing to make that. Doug Pedersen is one of them. That's not necessarily who what we would have thought he did when he first got hired by yeah. the, the Eagles. We thought it's like boring Andy Reid, oh, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, to do that in that situation, I think it's like one of those situations where you're like, if we do this, like everyone's going to believe. Because obviously there's always that like aspect with New England of fear. Like there's so many times this year where teams were like we're afraid of New England we're afraid they're going to come back they've done it again in Super Bowl you think of that Jacksonville game where Jacksonville like came into their shell Doug Peterson it definitely felt like he came out here and he's like we will not be cowed we will not be afraid we will hang everything out on the table and in this game it worked and you know that has all the credit in the world has to go to Doug Peterson and all the credit in the world has to go to Nick Foles even though it might be because he's not really aware of how big a deal things are. <laughs> now that's it. I will say that it was it was, it was interesting because we were discussing this again last night. Kind of what the storylines will be in like if people look back at this kind of ten fifteen years time kind of thing. What what would they look at? There's obviously going to be that that the the fourth and one that we talked about, but. Um, I think it's interesting that, as we were saying, they were getting very little production out of their pass rush and out of their front four and stuff. But the whole mantra of the Patriots this year has been that they're always in the game, they're playing for the 60 minutes. Like, if you let up at all, that's when they're going to be able to come and get you. And it was the fact that the Eagles did something similar and they were still pushing. That was 30 seconds left to go. They had had no success with this pass rush, but the guys were still relentlessly going for it at that point. It was two teams that just seem to have all the confidence in the world that they could uh, that they could try and bring it back like that uh, that that ballsy design shout on the uh, jet sweep on the kickoff return that uh, didn't work no. but uh, like the, the, these are guys you, who came to play like. to work. Yeah. I was also a bit of a bit of desperation about that mm. but uh, well one of the one of the storylines that's going to come out of this and we flagged it earlier is about the refs um, yeah we forgot to pay them this week apparently <laughs> yeah um, they're on strike yeah that fucking hell like yeah. So there's there's two incidents, two, incidents, two, yeah. two particular incidents. Yeah. So okay. So one there's a Corey Clement catch uh, earlier in the game where he goes for a touchdown. Did he establish control of the ball before his third? Like basically, there's two interpretations. The one that was given was that he had established the ball earlier when his left foot was already down and he goes right foot down and therefore it was a catch. But 
some interpretation on the replay would indicate that he was still bringing the ball under control and the next time he brought his left foot down it was out of bounds yeah so there's a whole controversy there and Chris Collins was, was wrong about this uh, in, in the case in terms of his call and that's okay I, I kind of like that <laughs> <laughs> but like personally I felt it was a catch I felt he had done enough to control the ball mm. at that first initial catch point and that the other step didn't really matter at that point but I can see under the current catch rule why it would be quite ambiguous uh, in yeah. that case and I think I think I think the, the instance like one of the big things on it would be if that had initially been ruled not a catch I think they would have stuck with that call on the video replay as well. I think I think the fact that they said that it was a touchdown initially was what swung it in what was a very close call for them to make, maybe? Yeah, like I, for me, I think it's that he has control with one foot, but before he gets the second foot down, the ball is bobbling and then comes out. Uh, and he yeah. goes, as he, his foot comes down again out of bounds, then he loses the ball anyway. I don't... I, I get what you're saying, like... I, that call is probably not going to be overturned, however it was called. But I don't think that was the correct call on the field. Yeah. Um. Like I don't think he had possession of the football with both feet down. At or had full control of the football with both feet down at any point. Mm-hmm. And by the time he did have, you know, he ended up putting a foot out of bounds and then actually ended up completely yeah. dropping the ball. So I, I really think that call was incorrect. Um. Look, you can't. But I don't want to turn around and be like, oh, it's the ref's fault because everyone does that to the Patriots and it's fucking stupid when people do it. So it's just fucking stupid when Patriots fans do it. But. It's a huge call. It's a huge game. It was a very quick review as well, um, which surprised me because I thought it was going to go on forever. But I, I think things like that we have seen ruled not a catch earlier this season mm-hmm. uh, in games against the Patriots. Correctly in the case of Austin Ferry and Jenkins, then also incorrectly in the case of uh, was it uh, Kelvin Benjamin? Oh yeah. Um, there is a yeah. There has been a, and this comes down to inconsistent application. This is a, a call that has been not made repeatedly throughout the season sometimes correctly sometimes incorrectly under slightly different circumstances mm-hmm. obviously and I just think this was incorrect based on what we've seen happen beforehand yeah and I think it, it's interesting you mentioned that like it was a relatively quick review because I remember saying at the time it's the other one is obviously the Zach Ertz one where he jumps over a defender uh Breaks the breaks the goal line, and then after he's broken the goal line and goes to ground, uh, the ball came out. But he, he didn't establish a runner. He'd taken three or four steps before that point. But that review took a very long time. They were looking into that a lot, and that seemed like a far more obvious call for it. And again, the announcers got that one incorrect and said, "Oh, that one definitely has to come back." Yeah. And then it's it's it, it's interesting to see. And I think we said that that might be a function of it being later in the game and it being so tight yeah. that they kind of feel more pressure on them at that point. But, it, but it's interesting to see that these are two different ways in which they were trying to figure out this catch rule of the stands and how they should apply it, even though, it's like we said, it's it's consistency that's not there that just causes this confusion. Well, there's been some really draconian interpretations of what it means to control the ball mm-hmm. over the seasons, and I'm sure there's plenty of occasions where if you applied the same draconian standard, lots of catches that were gone unremarked would have gone like I kind of think of ones like like last season where he literally had the ball in his hands and his hands kind of moved off a little bit Mm -hmm. like literally a couple inches off it and then he caught it again and that was considered to be not in full control of the ball situations like that which are obviously to me looked a bit ridiculous and I just think it's one of those situations that establishing control is kind of situated. but I, I would say in the Ertz one I think that was like yeah, I 100% it made no sense I think he had clearly established the ball the way that he dives for it is the kind of thing you have to have like taken steps and got yourself <laughs> into a body this isn't this wasn't the type of dive where you're like falling over this is the type of dive where you've taken launched some steps yourself. and then launched yourself well he, he tripped up actually yeah. um, he tripped over the defender but like I actually agree this one was a touchdown I think the reason it took so long was because Des Bryant yeah, the Des Bryant thing where he got the ball and took three steps and then dropped it uh, was in the playoffs two years ago, which actually I think that I think Steratore was refereeing that game as well mm. was ruled an incompletion. In not this wrong, case, though. that was <laughs> yes, I, I, I probably agree that was wrong. Uh, in this case, I think it was the correct call because I think he he did clearly establish control and establish himself as a runner or whatever the fuck like before mm. he broke the plane. But the fact that this had to go through that is another indication <laughs> that there is so much confusion and ambiguity. Um, for the officials about what they're meant to be looking at and what the enforcement is. I, again, the problem comes down to consistency. It's Des Bryant's was not ruled a catch. This was ruled a catch. That These are two very high-profile instances that were almost identical that were for very obscure reasons uh, called differently. And I think that's where part of the problem comes from. If this mm. rule was consistently enforced, 
I don't think we would have, consistently interpreted rather, mm-hmm. I don't think we would have the same level of discussion about something like that, which is, I think, substantially different from the Jesse James thing where he called it in the process of falling. Yeah. That's yeah. clearly different, right? It, it, it's just, why, like, how can two things that are not the same be, two things that are the same be... Uh, so vastly different. Exactly, have vastly different outcomes. No, and that's just a head fuck, like. Yeah, now we will say that while there was one or two of these calls that were causing issues, this was a very, very exciting game to watch, very enjoyable, big one for, obviously, big one for Philly fans, big one for neutrals, like, even New England, even though they lost, they had to say this was a very, very, very fun Super Bowl, uh, which was not necessarily what I think anyone was predicting, not that it wouldn't be fun, but I don't think something this high scoring, this much offense was in yeah. any way what anyone yeah, was expecting. I think we all kind of thought Philadelphia have a really good defense. They'll get pressure on Brady. That didn't happen. Brady went crazy. We all kind of expected, you know, Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick could outthink Nick Foles. Mm. That didn't happen. How can you outthink that? Which does not think. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't happen. So uh, for all the people who made bets in the Super Bowl, uh, it's usually a terrible idea to be fair. <laughs> but uh, I don't think many people made money uh, nope. in this particular game. New England finally break that pony. Scored in the first quarter. Yeah. Should have scored in the first quarter. That was a mistake. <laughs> the one thing about this game is like even though the last two Patriots Super Bowls were like ignore the one that happened in between because that sucked were interesting and really exciting and the ends of those probably had a height that this game never reached this was probably the of the, of the three last Super Bowls the Patriots were involved in was consistently exciting throughout the entire mm-hmm. game there was big things happening all the time and unless you're a purist and a sourpuss uh, there's no way you couldn't have enjoyed what was going on and obviously if you ever have if for anyone who's watching it for the first time or have people who don't watch the football as much it's always great that the Super Bowl is a, a centrepiece yeah. rather than a, a, a you know a boring dirge of a game yeah now we've got so these these two teams now moving into next season Philadelphia obviously got quite a good core there uh, they're going to be getting back their starting quarterback it should be a very interesting time for them they should get a good bit of consistency I don't think they're going to lose too much at all New England on the other hand have a lot of change upcoming uh, so both Patricia and McDaniels are offensive and defensive coordinators are leaving and going elsewhere they've lost a number of other coaches as well I believe their offensive line coach and one or two others uh, Tom is obviously a year older Bill is getting a little bit older but they seem to be locked into the idea that they're going to I think I'll find they're all getting the same amount older <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, there are some researchers yeah. <laughs> from an actual. Well, that's true. Perspective. true. If, if 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 Brady is taller, doesn't that mean like time is moving fractionally slower? Yeah. They've also the uh, Gronk is doing a very good uh, rapey Ben impression at the moment. And, <laughs> Clarify uh, that, please. <laughs> yeah, and uh, immediately talking about him potentially contemplating retirement and not sure what he's going to do the and following year. Butler is probably on the way out. That's someone who, mm. if yeah. you're talking about this run of. Success that New England's had. That's obviously the the name that's most associated with that. Yeah. Perhaps Tom Brady, due to that uh, that pick in the Seahawks Super Bowl. So this will this will make for a very interesting change of like while while we presumably we'll still see a very successful New England team because Bill and Tom will be there and they are kind of the core around which you build everything else. This will almost certainly be a very different looking and different kind of approaching team next season, won't it? Well, maybe. I mean, New England have never been that badly affected by the loss of coordinators in the past. I mean, uh, certainly McDaniels and Patricia and Belichick seem to have a, a very strong chemistry. But um, this team has managed to find success with a lot of people, and you look at the amount of people who, from that, um, who have served into Belichick, and obviously not many of them have gone to be successful head coaches, but are still knocking around the league yeah. in some kind of capacity. Um, he's never had a problem promoting internal talent and, and finding it. I mean, even Jim Schwartz worked with Belichick way back in the day in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Houston, you mentioned as well, actually. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not too worried about that. I think while you still have Brady, and while you can still build around that, that's fine. And New England don't have, other than Butler, and I think Nate Solder don't have any huge off-season mm-hmm. departures they're looking at mostly it's special teams players and guys like you know your uh, Dion Lewis's Danny Amendola but if you, if you lose your special cheap. teams players who's going to play defence for you? Johnson <laughs> <laughs> Mosley is not coming back but <laughs> um, they'll be cheap to re-sign is more the point I was yeah, making yeah. there um, so <laughs> and slightly cheaper because you lost so maybe it was all <laughs> maybe well, apparently Johnson Badamosi's against two and a half million against the camp which is the worst two and a half million Belichick's ever spent but, uh, <laughs> Slater's less than that but the, no, the, the, the point there is is that um, there's certainly going to be some turbulence, but I think this is an organization that has shown that it can deal with that kind of change in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as Brady and Belichick are still there, I don't think they're going to hit that crisis. Now, when one or both of them leaves, yeah, okay, yeah, then we can start worrying. But for the time being, I'm not 
overly concerned about what the transition will look like in New England because it's something they've been able to do successfully before. Yeah. I think fans are more worried than like the, like Belichick and Brady because they have the best idea of when they actually think they might finish up. Yeah. I think for fans, it's like, you know, when you win, you're like, oh, well, you know, we'll just continue winning forever. But every time you take a loss, that's the kind of situation where you might imagine some people might have second thoughts. Like Gronk obviously being the, the operative mm. person in this case. It's just for fans, they're just kind of like, there's uncertainty from losing. You build up to this. Now what do you have? You think about the Super Bowl hangover, all that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Based on probability, based on what we've seen in the past, I think Harry's clearly right, they'll be fine. But the mortality of the bill and... Brady era has, yeah. to, has to happen eventually, right? Yeah. But, like, but like, like we said, like the, the the fact that they allow both the backups to leave this season uh, means that they do seem to at least be planning to have a year or two more. Like they don't get rid of all of the succession plans unless just Bill has decided he wants to fuck the organization something fierce. <laughs> like, so I think that I think they should be fine, but it'll be interesting. I think they will have to. I I'd imagine we'll see a little bit of change, but it'll also be very interesting to see whether or not these will be the first two kind of coordinators to leave New England and find proper success, because there's a lot of lot of hope. There's uh, some interesting stories surrounding them moving as well. A uh, number of players looking forward to touching. Uh, <laughs> Matt Patricia's beard uh, some <laughs> hilarious jokes online about that as well I will say uh, go look them up yourself and then the only other bit I suppose would be there was a relatively kind of uh, kind of lukewarm Justin Timberlake thing there was some good bits in it but that wasn't really coherent I don't think the Prince thing worked no. particularly well I think they should have taken a different song or just not done it and uh, there was also a remarkable amount of like audio issues during the thing If there was like low microphones until maybe the second last song and stuff like, like that there was never really a standout like this is the statement song of it yeah and like the one he spent the longest on was the that like catchy tune from a couple of years ago yeah but that's like which is like really catchy but like it's mm. It's candy floss. Yeah, like there was. I think. I think one of the things is that there was too many ideas floating around on it. Of like they had, like because they had. I really liked the bit with the marching brass band stuff. I thought that looked really cool. I think some of the set design stuff looked very good. But like there was essentially five or six separate sets at different points in different places and I really really wasn't feeling the sitting at a white piano and duetting with uh, with the ghost of Prince yeah I think if you do the multiple sort of set thing you have to it has to be spectacular like Katy Perry or Beyonce mm-hmm. did where they're like wheeling in gigantic animals and, animals stuff like that, and yeah. shit or like Gaga. that yeah or well let's see Lady Gaga's thing was though still within one relatively yeah geographically yeah, it was, it was kind of yeah. thing it was like yeah. she comes down onto the stage and then on, on the wires and then it's you know Mm-hmm. it all takes place on that stage she's just moving around different parts of it and so yeah I just felt Timberlake's thing just felt like it was fine but it was just very aside from the audio issues which weren't mm-hmm. fine but it was very kind of like here's a bit I did here's a bit I did one minute of this song one minute of that song hop around hop around thematically yeah. all over the place and it was just very kind of they, it felt like they were trying to do it more intimately than they've done before with yeah. coming out of the stadium a lot of very close camera shots yeah. Small, st- lots of small stages, but it just didn't work. Yeah. And the and, and the it will be a forgotten here because it won't ca- catch on anywhere near like the left track. But the hilarious white guy dancing of the trombone player Justin Timberlake <laughs> was walking past him was just he was loving it. He was loving it. Oh, actually, Justin Timberlake did that for McDonald's, didn't he? I'm loving it. Oh, he did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, uh, but no. Uh, so good overall, really enjoyable. And now we've got a break, so I suppose we've got our Sundays back uh, for the next while. So we're gonna have to find another hobby. We'll obviously be starting into a bit of draft coverage and looking at team needs and stuff like that. And we'll get our mock draft up before the actual draft. Uh, but I think from this point onwards, we're gonna be less than uh, weekly at this point. We're gonna kind of move on to a little bit more. You don't need us often; you just need us at high quality. So, we'll, uh, <laughs> but if you're interested in a weekly Nick Foles appreciation podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let you us know a Pornhub big, big Dick Nick uh, Oh god yeah Because I do Pornhub now Like yeah Big Dick Nick Dad yeah. Dick's American Patriots Yeah Something along those lines Anyway But no it's good So any, any other plans of yourselves lads Anything that you're up to For the next little bit Nah I'm, I just get back to work now uh, After my fun time off For, for football Nothing uh, Nothing in the short term Fair enough What about no. yourself uh, No this. Thankfully uh, There's other sports out there we can mm. watch none of them kind of fill that Sunday evening slot but there's other yeah. sports and obviously there's the, the ruggers for mm. the next while to, to keep us entertained yeah possible. I've got the Six Nations for the next what seven weeks or something yeah yeah uh, so it should be good it's, uh, it's going to culminate in an excellent uh, an excellent possibility for a final so uh, 
we Ireland won in spectacular fashion on Saturday. We've now got three home games which we were favoured in to win. And if that was the case and we win our three home games, Ireland's last game is on St. Patrick's Day in London against England to potentially win the Grand Slam. That would be a hell of a day. That would be a monstrous... So that's I think that's probably the next big event on the horizon, I yeah. think, for it. But yeah, no, I'd say that, not too much. I think just chill, get back to... Try and turn my body clock back around after staying up till half five in the morning last night. <laughs> Fun yeah. times. So I suppose, as always, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Porto, all that kind of stuff, and leave us your messages, your questions, uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I suppose that'll wrap us up, will it? Uh, so. Bye from yourself, bye from Harry. Bye. Bye from Ronan. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks.